Um, so the intentions of this presentation are more ironic than academic. Its purpose is to explore peacemaking in Israel among Jews and Muslims and to ask if Ibn Arabi is contributing to reconciliation amidst the conflict. And I will be citing um, some of my interviewees from my field studies. I hope to give a glimpse here of how it is possible to find beauty in the midst of conflict and to do that by taking a brief look at peacemakers in Israel for whom the teachings of Ibn Arabi play a significant role in their Sufi-inspired practice and their work for peace. So the main uh, uh, primary aim of my research is to investigate the practice of Sufism amongst Jews and Muslims in Israel who are practicing together. Um, and is this contributing in a grassroots manner to reconciliation, to conflict transformation, because you have um, the Jews and the Muslims of Israel coming together regularly to study and to do zikr and sohbet, etc. Um, I view the contemporary rise of interest in Sufism uh, among Jews and Muslims as a resurgence and continuation of the heritage of interaction between Jewish and Islamic mysticism in Al-Andalus, Islamic Spain, and of the Jewish interest in Sufism of the Derech Avraham, or Way of Abraham, that was founded by Abraham Maimonides, grandson of the great Jewish philosopher Moses Maimonides in medieval Cairo. Uh, as part of my research, I completed two field studies in Israel, in which I interviewed Jewish Israelis who are studying together with the Muslim Sufis from Nazareth. Nazareth is basically a mainly Palestinian town, but it's within the borders of Israel. Um, and there you have the Qadiri Sufis and uh, uh, these Jewish, Jewish uh, Sufis uh, are practicing regularly together with them. Uh, Palestinian or Arab Israelis make up 20% of the population of Israel. All of the groups I spoke to are also involved in peacemaking, either as a group or as individuals inspired by their study and spiritual practice. Working for peace is not easy. And this, this image here is of the house of Sheikh Abdulaziz Bukhari, who passed away in 2010. He was greatly loved as a teacher um, and fellow peacemaker by all those who I interviewed. But there were others from his own community who did not approve of him practicing Sufism. I will return to the challenges of peacemaking further on. Sheikh Bukhari's front door is directly opposite the Via Dolorosa. His back door looks out onto the Dome of the Rock. Um, he's the head of the Naqshbandi community. This is uh, obviously in the old city. He's head of the Naqshbandi community from Bukhar, who have been uh, in, in Israel for several hundred years. And he worked together with um, Eliyahu McLean, a Jewish peacemaker. So in what sense am I asking whether Ibn Arabi is contributing to reconciliation in Israel today? It is both in what the Sheikh al-Akbar means to the peacemakers I am studying, and in the sense that Ibn Arabi's words, your bewilderment will allow you to arrive at me, 
became a reality in my own experience and in what I observed in the people I spoke with. One of the interviewees uh, from Derek Avraham, Derek Avraham is Hebrew for the path of Abraham, um, Tariq Ibrahimia in Arabic. Um, one of my interviewees from Derek Avraham said of his Sufi Palestinian friend, Ibn Arabi was very important for him because his teacher was from the Maghrib and he told me that Ibn Arabi is very important for the spiritual way. Therefore, when he studies Sufism, he focuses on Ibn Arabi. Ibn Arabi is very important in the Maghrib, in Damascus, in Syria, but also in Jerusalem, in Palestine. Ibn Arabi is very important. Unquote. The context of the conflict within which the participants of Sufi and Sufi-inspired groups live and negotiate their identities are far too complex to be seen in terms of black and white. The political, social, religious and narrated contexts of perceptions of self and other are highly charged in Israel. The dynamic constellations of national narratives, historical experience and remembering, ethnic and national origins, political agendas and religious narratives all told in diverse registers from biblical narrative to political rhetoric, form the background within which the grassroots seekers of reconciliation are, are situated. Within the spiritual path of the Sufis, we encounter the human heart as the very center of the striving for union with the one. It is the heart that is seen as clouded by the machinations of the nafs, the ego, and veiled by the numerous attachments to material accretions, dearly held ideas, judgments based on preconceived notions. It is this which the Sufi strives to clean from her or his heart until it becomes natural to do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself and to see the other as a manifestation of God, and therefore speaking as a sign of God. From this perspective on the ego, which seldom misses a chance to assert itself, it is incumbent in situations of conflict to understand that successful dialogue for a lasting change in issues of justice, peace and reconciliation requires a transformation of the, of the nafs, of the self. It is necessary that every speak, seeker be alone with himself, in the company of his Lord, in his innermost heart. For God has given human beings an inward dimension and an outward dimension, only so that they might be alone with God, through their inward dimension and witness him through their outward dimension in his secondary causes. After having gazed upon him through their inner dimension so that they discern him in the existence of the secondary causes, otherwise they will never know him. Chulaladin Rumi says something similar referring to the heart as a mirror. Once the mirror of your heart is clear and pure, you will see images beyond this water, world of water and clay. 
you will see both the image and the maker of images, both the carpet of the kingdom and he who lays the carpet. But how difficult is this when surrounded by the ugliness of conflict? One interviewee expanded on the problem she perceives of taking a position in the conflict. And she related this to points made by Ibn Arabi on the bewilderment that arises in the face of the tension between opposites. She states, What I get from Ibn Arabi and his perception of reality is that there is Hera, that you are torn by opposites. Living in Israel is very much like that. You feel torn by opposites all the time. And the only thing I can do in it is to let myself be torn by opposites, not choose a direction, unquote. Hera, and please correct me if I'm mispronouncing this Arabic word. Hera <laughs> um, means bewilderment. And Ibn Arabi counts this state of one of, as one of the highest stations one can achieve. It manifests as a result of seeming unresolvable paradoxes, such as the impossibility of human understanding being able to comprehend the transcendent God, while simultaneously experiencing an intimate knowledge of God in his imminence. Hera is the bewilderment that arises in the face of the tension between opposites. This tension gives rise to movement, and that movement is love. Suad Hakim, in an article on the unity of being, speaks of the isthmoseity of the human condition that is such an important part of the Akbarian teaching. I am reminded of the sense I felt in some of my interviewees and which I became aware of as a necessity for myself during my time in Israel of residing with full awareness within that space between opposites in that isthmus or barzakh. I'm sorry. Uh, between opposites, in that isthmus or barzakh which manifests the tension between opposites and which places one in a constant embrace of love, a love that holds the heart and fills the heart like an extraordinary mystery. The movement is, of love is both an abiding of love within the heart and an inflow of love from the other, an outflow toward the other, despite the circumstances. In another way, one might say it is about becoming aware of the beauty of God's love, moving through, within, and in interaction with itself in the created forms. How might this play out in the world? What does it mean in the daily life of a Jewish or Palestinian-Israeli Sufi? Another interviewee said, So that's what I feel this Hera of Ibn Arabi very strongly, because what is the victim is shown as the one who abuses, and the one who abuses is shown as the victim, and it's not true. There is no abuser and no victim, and everything is mixed up, and thus all these so-called narratives that everybody goes with. It's postmodernism with its many truths, as if there is no truth, 
And for me, the power of Ibn Arabi is that he says there is truth, even if we don't know it. But it is, and this is the main factor. Unquote. Suad Hakim writes that many people are not aware of the Akbarian teaching of the Barzak and consequently do not profit by their Isthmusayati. Our Isthmic reality, she says, means that we have the power to connect to two different worlds at the same time from two sides. She relates this to contemporary life, saying that, in practical terms, man today could realize a temporal Isthmusayati by having one face turned to the present and another turned towards eternal time. He could gain greatly by this temporal ismoseity, reconciling the past, present and future, but also taking up the past again, not as the past, but in its present. We could also gain by the ismoseity of our intellect between reason and inspiration, receiving from one side the data of sense and reason, and from the other, receiving the inspiration of the heart. Thus we can open the possibilities of our existence and gain from our ismoseity to realise our spiritual fullness on earth. I find that particular sentence from Suad Hakim about um, uh, receiving from one side the data of sense and reason, from the other, the inspiration of the heart. This was happening to me very often whilst I was in Israel, and it was very bewildering. <laughs> and this is what I'm coming to, this role. Thus we can open the possibility... Uh, sorry. In relation to the situation in Israel, it is useful to see the space between opposites as a barzakh, an in-between. There, where love flows, the opposites can be in dialogue, and this is what the peacemakers are doing. The peacemakers I met held that space within and attempt to reconcile the tensions of the opposites apparent in the conflict. This is something I began to learn myself during my field study and in which I'm still only a beginner. And that is to hold a space open for all within. That doesn't mean ignoring injustice or stupidity but it means to look for the face of God in every human being and relationship. It can be painful, it can seem like madness, but it can be very perplexing to the energies of destruction. And that perplexity can initiate spiritual transformation and the movement of love. Um, now, I, uh, I was intending of showing a short... Um, video at the end which illustrate, actually shows this happening with a particular person but it doesn't work apparently because it's an uh, online link so I'll be describing it instead the example I want to show of beauty in the midst of conflict involves a group of Jews and Muslims all either familiar with Sufism and inspired by or practicing Sufism The short film, which I will now describe, shows a visit to the tomb of Abraham in Hebron by a group of Jews and Muslims led by members of the Jerusalem Peacemakers, that is a group of, um, of Jews and Muslims all involved in peace who loosely form a group and work together. Hebron is a place of increasing tensions 
and the Machpelah, also known as the Cave of the Patriarchs, or Abraham's tomb, is a hotspot of tension. In 1994, this is the Cave of the Patriarchs. In 1994, Dr. Baruch Goldstein, an American Jewish settler, entered the Cave of the Patriarchs and shot dead 29 Muslims who were praying. Since then, there is a partition down the middle and Jews and Muslims must enter separately. For many years, sorry, I don't have time to talk about the architecture and that here, but basically this is where um, the patriarchs are buried um, with cenotaphs above. And for centuries, Jews and Muslims have prayed side by side and there. And since this incident, um, they are separated. Um, in this, in this example, this film, what, what, what is particularly moving is the engagement of the peacemakers who have decided to go on a sulha. A sulha, um, sulha means reconciliation, sulha trip to the cave of the patriarchs to pray together there. Now, um, Hebron is on the West Bank, and uh, there are settler communities there. And there are IDF soldiers everywhere also guarding this because it is a place of such tension. Um, the, the reason why I have chosen this clip, which I'll be uh, explaining, is that I, you, what, in, what you see in it is an illustration of beauty in the midst of conflict. You see this happening. Um, bewilderment or perplexity can have the effect of disarming preconceived judgments, and love is obvious to all. It is important to know that the Jews and Muslims, Jewish Israelis and Arab Israelis, who organized this Sulha event in Hebron, are faced with challenges and fears that would discourage most people. Hebron is in the, on the West Bank, in the Palestinian territories, and there are illegal settler communities living there and the presence of Israeli soldiers to protect the settlers. This causes constant friction. To get to the West Bank, the group would have gone through a checkpoint, and the very fact that they are a group of Jews and Muslims together would cause difficulties. It is not easy being a peacemaker when surrounded by tensions between one's own community and the community of the other. But as the Sheikh al-Akbar says, tension between opposites gives rise to movement, as I said previously, and that movement is love. The people on their way to Hebron, and many of the individuals I interviewed, from the Bashara group, from Derek Avraham, from the Jerusalem Circle, all of whom study Ibn Arabi and Jalal al-Din Rumi, live and work from within that barzakh, that space in between. It's not comfortable, it's often painful, and they can often be in trouble with either side because what they feel in that barzak between the opposites of love is love. One of the interviewees said, this is the best, inshallah, to be in the barzak. This is the place, this is the place, yes. This is mushahada, to bishah, to look, unquote. By this he meant to see with open eyes the humanity of all, to bear witness to the, to the unity of being. And this requires a steadfast holding to the way of love and knowledge in relation to the other. 
And it is this that can cause moments of bewilderment in those whose expectations of a situation are completely different, but who have a heart that can open enough to be bewildered by the juxtaposition of their expectations with the unexpected. The effect is that the ego is disarmed. If only for a moment expectations and prejudices fall away and we see a reality that can change us. And this is what we would have seen in the video clip if it had worked. It is a fleeting moment, but one whose impact can change and transform the expectation of conflict into awareness that not all is as it might have seemed and that peace is a real possibility. So within this film, we see the group going towards the Cave of the Patriarchs in Hebron, um, and they form a circle outside. The place is surrounded by soldiers. They form a circle outside. Uh, they have to explain to the soldiers what they're doing. And there is a very young soldier um, who will see the Arabs as the enemy against whom he is protecting his country. It's unlikely that he will have ever seen Jews and Muslims speaking to each other, let alone praying to each other like this, working together for peace. He's very young. And if you watch the, 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 the film carefully, you can see they invite him, come, it's okay, come, join us in prayer, join the circle. He gradually comes in, K47 at his side, and you can see the bewilderment on his face. He's very, very young. He's looking very bewildered. He's not sure, is it all right for me to join in here? Um, I, I, should, I, should I be separating these people? What's going on? I'm quite justified. Something terrible could happen any moment. You, this, this is about security. And uh, they take his hand. He comes into the circle. They all begin praying in both Hebrew and Arabic, chanting. And you see that bewilderment transformed into a marvellous smile, joy. This incredible joy on this face as he realises, wow, Jews and Muslims pray together. We're not all shooting each other. We don't want to push each other into the sea and get rid of each other. There is another possibility. You see this moment when that, that heart opens and that is a moment that can be transforming. He has experienced something through his bewilderment. He's experienced something uh, completely, completely new that has disarmed him, that has opened the heart. And that is the moment of beauty in the midst of the conflict in Hebron, which, which I wanted to show, but I hope I've managed to, to describe it <laughs> sufficiently. Thank you. Thank you very much.